You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa, also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music innovation. And I'm just back from the Music Biz Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, which was such a blast. I had so many great conversations and I recorded some of them to share with you, our lovely podcast listeners. Stick around for a music industry pulse check with four super smart folks with very different perspectives on the business business of music. We've got Dan Runcie, who runs Trapital, the trade magazine of hip-hop in podcast form. Russ Krupnik, managing partner at Music Watch, a company that surveys thousands and thousands of music listeners every year. Jim Griffin is coming up. He runs the influential email listserv discussion group FA, P-H-O, and he's the disruptor who put an Aerosmith track on CompuServe, and we wrap it up with Robert Singerman, a champion of the power of lyrics to change the world and the SVP of international publishing at LyricFime. Let's hit the floor and see what we find out. Hey, what's up? It's Dimitri. I'm at Music Biz, and I'm running around just getting some pulse checks, and I can't believe it. I just ran into Dan Runcy from Trapital. What's up, Dan? Dimitri, how's it going? It's Gr- so great to meet you in person. I know. Likewise. Finally put a face to the name, right? Been on the podcast, and here we are in Nashville. What's the vibe here? What, what are you feeling here at Music Biz? I mean, we feel like we're back to pre-pandemic energy. Everyone is here. Everyone wants to talk and meet each other. This is great. This is what it's all about. I feel like there's only a few events during the year where you can really bring everyone together like this. So I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, we're sitting in the lobby right now. I'm sure people can hear. It's, it's pretty loud. This is like the hopping spot. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So what do you think is on the tips of, of people's tongues this year? What's, where are we at? I mean, here we are in, in May 2022. It's, we think the pandemic's on the tail end of things. And people are, like you said, people are excited to be here. But what are they talking about in the music space? Well, I think it's at this interesting crossroads, right? Because you have the pandemic and people thinking about what's on the other end. But you're also having a lot of the post-pandemic boom kind of come back down to earth to some extent, right? So, of course, everyone's seeing what Spotify stock is doing. People see where the market's going. So, a lot of the innovation that drives this industry, I do think that there's a lot of uh, thought in the back of the people's mind, where are things going? So, I think when you're hearing people at panels today, you're hearing people talk about different things, people want to know where do people see the future realistically. It's one thing to have the bullish views that everyone may have had in, let's say, November 2021, but it's a little bit of a different world now. So, who can provide the realism but still give a clear perspective on where things are heading. Well, I, I love that you, you put that out there because you're so independent and you are kind of just this kind of like observer of everything that's going on. You can have a very independent perspective and just put it right out there and be like, you know what? It was good and it's still good, but there's kind of like a, a little ricochet effect happening. Definitely. I mean, if you think about the amount of activity happening in Web3. You think about some of the NFT movement as well and how Wall Street Journal recently put out that report that there's been a decline from what we've seen in 2021. A lot of people are wondering what's there. But like I've always said about this time, this in many ways is the pets.com era that we're now getting through. Oh, you think it's it's that big? You think it's going to be that big of a correction or bubble burst? I mean, I think in some ways it's all relative though, right? Like, the stocks have definitely come down quite a bit since then, but even so, it's still up from the where things were March 2020. So I still think net positive, we still are where we are, but in the moment, things can just seem so instantaneous. So sometimes the corrections may not be as big as we seem, but I do think that in the aspect of getting through some of those early dot-com era wave where there was clearly things that were just cash grabs, but you also saw the real businesses start to come through as well. Like you may have had your pets.com, but you also had your Googles that were rising during that time. Very much the web 1.0 era. And I think like anything, the web three era is showing this as well. We're going to see a lot of, we've seen a lot of grift, a lot of things that don't make sense, but we're also seeing a lot of innovation happening right now that I think is going to set the path for the next decade. Agreed. Agreed. So what's next with Trapital? What do we need to give our listeners an update? You got to check out Trapital, the podcast, right? Um, where do people find Trapital? They find it everywhere. Oh yeah. So Trapital is available everywhere. If you enjoy conversations like this, go to Trapital. You can search for it in anywhere you listen to podcasts. That's T-R-A-P-I-T. AL. We interview the leading executives in music, media, and entertainment, and we're ultimately taking this industry and taking this culture to the next level. So if you want to gain insights from 
folks like your Rick Rosses or your Issa Rays or even your experts like your Will Pages and others like that, Trapital's the podcast for you. Awesome. Hey, Dan, thanks for taking the time. Have a great rest of your music biz. Thank you. You too. Dimitri, it was great to run into you. Likewise. Hey, Dimitri again at Music Biz, and I have stumbled on to someone whose work I really respect, and I thought it would be fun to get a little pulse check with Russ Krupnik. Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I'm Russ Krupnik. I'm managing partner of Music Watch. We are a consumer research company. We've been looking at um, consumer insights for music and the entertainment industry for over a generation, over 20 years. How do you do that? Um, mostly through surveying consumers. Got it. Okay. You know, I always, I always <laughs> when we started out, people would say, well, what is it that you do exactly? And I said, you know, I try to be the voice of the music consumer, the voice of the music fan, so that rather than everybody kind of getting into conference rooms and guessing what's going on or basing it upon their, you know, nephew Johnny says, we'd actually talk to thousands and thousands and sometimes, some years, hundreds of thousands of consumers to wow. find out what's on their minds when it comes to music. So data-driven uh, conversations rather than anecdotes. Uh, absolutely. Although we do, we do sometimes get people in a room together to do a focus group and get some of those anecdotes. But yeah, it's trying to, you know, trying to put the understanding behind all of the the numbers that you you might see in Billboard, for example. Yeah, very cool. So, what's top of mind this year at Music Biz? What are you, what's what's either on your mind or, or something that people are asking you or that's on the on the tip of people's tongues for you? Um, a couple of topics. I mean, we're, we're here this year to talk a lot about vinyl. Um, one of the big pieces of work that we just finished and presented this morning, actually, was a study on what's driving the whole evolution of, of the vinyl business. You know, it's interesting. We've watched over the past couple of years, the numbers just keep going up and up and up and up. But nobody's been really asking the question of why is it going up and up and who's driving it and, you know, is it going to keep going up or is it just some kind of a bubble that we're all going to be disappointed in, you know, in a year or two or three. So we did a pretty massive consumer research study to understand all of those things. Um, so that's one of the things. Obviously, everybody is always asking me. You know, what do I think about the future of streaming in the United States? Yeah. So, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm a major cheerleader, just uh, I, if I'm, we have time to get I, onto oh, that. Oh, I would, actually, I would love, do you want to say anything else about vinyl? Like, what have you found out about why it's, why it's so popular? Yeah, I think, you know, some of kind of the highlights um, was what we've been learning is that, and not surprisingly, over the past couple of years, we've had this massive influx of new vinyl buyers. You know, not the... Not the old gray-haired grizzly vinyl person that we all kind of think of from, from yesteryear. They buy a ton of vinyl, but we have a lot of young people coming in. We have a lot of women coming in. We have um, a lot of diversity, a lot of Hispanic buyers, for example, coming in. So there's been this influx of, of new buyers. At the same time, people are spending more. The value of each customer has gone up the last couple of years. Um, and I think one of the interesting things from the study is, you know, we always assume that people buy vinyl because it's nostalgic or some people think it sounds better than streaming or digital downloads. And in fact, there's, there's this other camp that says, yeah, I love the way it sounds, but I love the artwork, I love the packaging. It feels like something special for me that maybe I'm not getting in some of the digital formats. So there's this, you know, several reasons why why people buy vinyl beyond just, you know, it reminded me of something I did when I was a kid or my, my grandfather did it. Not just nostalgic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you talked about streaming, and I have a question for you. Super interesting uh, for me is as I, I see some... Uh, some uh, faltering in the stock market and in the NFT market and the crypto market and things like that. I've had this thought, and I'm, I'm curious to test it out since you've got access to some, some research and data. Sure. My theory is that a lot of people have now subscribed to multiple video streaming services. And so as there's a tightening of the economy, that they'll probably start to pick and choose or do one at a time as they switch from series to series. But that in music, 
Sure, here at Music Biz, probably people have two to four different streaming music streaming services, but a lot of people don't really need to spend extra money because the catalog is pretty similar from, from, from service to service. So is music going to be recession-proof is really what my question is, because of that difference or because of other reasons? Right. I mean, I spent a, a number of years following the home entertainment, the, the SVOD business from the beginning. Um, in fact, working with companies like, you know, like Netflix and the major major movie studios. And I, and I think part of the challenge that they have is there's a lot of services. People don't necessarily need all those services every single day. Um, and it's not bundled up real well. And the whole, frankly, the discovery process is a little bit of a challenge for, for most consumers. Um, music to me is, is, is quite the opposite in the sense that, first of all, <coughs> People get a tremendous amount of utility out of their favorite streaming service. Over 50% of Spotify listeners, subscribers, listen on, on a daily basis. I can listen at work, I can listen at home, I can listen in a car, I can listen at the gym. Wherever I am, I could take this with me. Uh, so it engenders a passion and a connection that you may not quite have with video services, for example. Uh, so it's a little bit different, and as you say, because because they have a unique, you know, the, the catalogs are not all unique across all of the services. I think one of the other things is most of us have invested a lot of time. It's kind of a two-way street. Mm -hmm. um, you know, think about think about uh, SVOD. I go in. I, I just finished watching Julia on HBO Max. I watched by six episodes and I'm done. On the other hand, for Spotify or Apple or whatever your favorite service is, every day I'm adding songs to my playlists. I'm creating new playlists. I'm, I'm, I'm liking more songs. I'm hearing, I'm discovering more songs. So there's this kind of two-way process that is, is ongoing for most of the listeners that really creates a much stronger bond, I think, than Oh wow! We'll just listen to you know. We'll just watch, you know, flight attendant this week, and when it's over, I move on to something else. Yeah, and and is there data that shows that my hypothesis is correct that people are sh are, are subscribed to multiple video platforms, streaming platforms, but not as many music platforms? There are actually people do people do tend to use multiple services but not so many as as in the um, cable TV in the SVOD space or in the TV you know TV oh, movie, oh, movie oh space. you're you're saying in music they do yeah, have multiple they, they yeah they do um, they but typically they have a favorite yeah and they have one favorite and you know again depending upon depending upon the kind of music listener you are and how intense a listener are you are or, or what you like in a service, you know, that might be Spotify, it might be Amazon, it might be it might be Apple, but uh, people do tend to have one favorite as opposed to saying, hey, this week my favorite's Netflix and next week my favorite is going to be Paramount Plus or, or so on. Yeah. So, so, so my theory about um, people being more likely to unsubscribe from video thing services because they have a lot of them but not unsubscribe from music ones is not necessarily what would happen in uh, economic uh, contraction? No, I mean, certainly, look, there, there are people, uh, um, the margins is the wrong term because they're not marginalized people, but there are people who, if, if the economy is bad or, or so on, will potentially cut back on their services. But look at it this way. We just went through two years of complete hell two years ago you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people lost their jobs, and yet Spotify's reporting, at least domestically, record numbers of subscribers. I kind of think that because of the, the way that we use streaming services, it may be one of the last things that you would give up before, you know, you might give up your 10th, <laughs> your 10th SVOD service. You might give up your Book of the Month Club way before you're going to give up your favorite streaming service. Well, that's pretty hopeful, Russ. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for, thanks for that, that insight. All right. Well, it's been great to catch up with you. I appreciate you taking the time. Is there any, any last things you wanted to get into the mix of sort of the pulse of music at Music Biz? 
No, I, I mean, I think it's just, just it's great being, uh, being here after a, a two-year absence. It's great seeing everyone. And frankly, it's great having these kinds of conversations. I think, I think we've all missed the, uh, the intellectual, the, the challenge of, of saying, hey, what's going on in with the industry? Yeah, perfect. It doesn't work the same way on Zoom. So it's super oh, nice no, to be sitting no, here at the no, bar in the no, lobby. I don't mean to be an old, old <laughs> fart, but no, it doesn't work yeah. at all. Well, th uh, thanks for joining the Music Tectonics podcast, Russ. Pleasure. Hope to talk to you soon again. Sounds good. Does your company belong at the center of the conversation about music, tech, and innovation? Listen, you should consider sponsoring the Music Tectonics Conference. It takes place in person October 25th through the 27th, 2022, in the Music Tech Hub of Los Angeles. Top-tier sponsorships are selling fast, but we still have a spot for you, whether your business is a hungry startup or an industry leader already. Every sponsorship level comes with an exhibitor booth at the Lowe's Santa Monica Beach Hotel on October 26th, the main conference hub for keynotes and panels. Your company will be at this epicenter of music, tech, and innovation throughout the event. That's just one perk of being a sponsor at Music Tectonics. You could be a guest on this podcast or even play a role in conference programming. Interested? Let's talk. Go to musictectonics.com to start the conversation with our contact form. And now, back to the show. Hey, it's Dimitri. I'm at Music Biz in Nashville. This is super exciting. Music Biz has come back with quite a force. They have. And uh, I'm excited because I get to sit next to and talk to a friend from online world. Actually, I think we met in person at Music Biz. I think Biz you're stealing my lines. Oh, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting next to a friend. That's why I'm here. <laughs> this is Jim Griffin, um, who I found. No, on no, I'm Jim Griffin. No, yeah. <laughs> you're Dimitri. <laughs> I'm still Dimitri, and he's Jim Griffin. Yes, that's true. And we're from Roughly the same area of the world, uh, the Midwest. Yeah, I live in the Midwest. It's true. Um, and I was actually born here in Nashville. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, Jim, why don't you just introduce yourself to our podcast listeners to start? Happy to do it. Uh, I'm Jim Griffin. I'm a, a, I guess I think I'm a media technologist. Uh, I run the pho list, so I know a lot of people from that. I've got a Spelled P-H-O. Oh, yeah. Vietnamese beef noodle soup. Uh, I've got a posse around that. So I guess that makes me semi-important if you have a posse. Uh, and I love them all. Uh, anybody who is really interested can join it. Uh, it's, it has a long story. In June of 1994, it seems like forever ago, I was working at Geffen as the CTO, and I released the, the first full-length sound recording online. It was an Aerosmith track wow. called Head First. And we had the rights to these things. Uh, we were their label. So I uh, took a sound recording, put it out on AOL and CompuServe, because at the time nobody had an internet connection. And uh, we learned from that. And so it was exciting to do that. But the learning there was that I could never get back to all of the people who called afterwards, journalists, etc., academics. And I love journalists. I do. I, I consider myself a journalist. So I, I didn't want to disappoint them. And I said to my assistant, look, for all these people who call, tell them to go to Fa 87 in downtown L.A. And it's ch near Chinatown. And they'll see me at the back of the room with a red hat in my hand. <laughs> I, I'm going to have a red hat. Old with school. Me. <laughs> yeah. And I said, and I'll buy them lunch. If they'll have the soup, I'll buy it for them. And we'll have a conversation, not just us, but the people around us. We'll all talk about the digital delivery of art with a focus on its monetization and music. Uh, and so this went on every week, and more and more people began to come. And then one Sunday, three big tour buses pulled up outside of this Vietnamese soup kitchen, and it was the Harvard Business School. What? And they got off one by one and filed into the restaurant. I bought them all lunch. I had to send my brother out to get more cash out of the ATM. <laughs> but, uh, and, and that led to me lecturing there. I built a relationship with them. And I realized that what I was doing was metaphor for the whole industry. Wow. That we were effectively monetizing, drawing a crowd. Oh, yeah. What, the, what year was this, Jim? This uh, had to be... 
around 1996, 1997. Uh, and, and so... I realized we were in the middle of something, and wow. we were talking about it at the Harvard Business School, and they were writing case studies, and I didn't really perceive that coming at the rate that it did. Mm -hmm. I guess you never see the future uh, coming at the rate that it is, uh, but it was exciting, and it led us to turn FA from purely a brunch meeting into a list serve, which is a medium all its own. Pure text, people sending emails that go out to the entire group. Yeah, let, let's just say, because we probably have a variety of generations listening. A listserv is an email you sign up to, and then every time somebody in the group sends an email, everybody gets that email. That, that's how it works. It's so simple. It's just email. It preceded instant messaging. Right, and we do not permit graphics uh, or attachments because of the risk of viruses. But it's an ancient way to communicate that is, <laughs> I would call, lowest common denominator. Yeah. Everyone has email. It has the least resistance, right? right. You don't have to download another app or it's learn an etiquette. It's fast, easy, and simple. The word yeah. gets out quick. Yeah. And that's why I like it. I like it because anybody can do it. It's absolutely free. It costs nothing to participate. Uh, anyone can do it. Uh, we have 14-year-olds. We have 41-year-olds. We have 84-year-olds, whatever. And uh, it's, it's an exciting discussion. And, and yeah, and I'm, I'm on the list. I've been on it for several years. And to be clear, it is people who are the types of people that would have shown up at that pho restaurant, the types right. of people who are interested in this immersion of digital monetization and, and digital distribution and rights and copyright. There's a lot of lawyers on there. there There's are. a lot of CEOs <laughs> we lurking. We have our own bar association, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of lawyers. Yeah, the FUB Bar Association. Yeah, we love to discuss court cases or whatever's happening around the world. It'll come up. But really, anything you're interested in. I mean, I met my wife at FA. What? And then I married her. So I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, that's how that happened. <laughs> uh, she came with an agent predictably, you know, from Michael Ovitz's company uh, and, and attended a Sunday brunch. And I said, sit down, let's talk. And uh, it really is just so a it was the early Tinder is what you're saying. <laughs> well, maybe it's a melting pot of people. Yeah, it, 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 it's a place. It's very friendly. So you newcomers. you run this community that's on email. I don't think I run it. Uh, let me be clear. You started it. It runs best when I'm asleep. And I'm sure of this. You wake up and see what happens? I do. I wake up and see the results of the overnight around the world and people sending messages. Okay, while well, we've got people excited about it, how do they find out if they want to sign up or do something? Oh, like, they can they? just write me an email. Okay. Griffin at onehouse.com or griffin747 at outlook.com. Okay, so that's the red hat that you wear or at least hold up. Right, yeah. What other hats do you wear now? Uh, I work at a company called Pex. P-E-X. P-E-X.com. Uh, and we try to ring the ambiguity out of reporting the use of music and, and thereby its payments and downstream royalty flow. Wow. And what do you do there? I do law and policy. I'm lucky to be a part of a department that focuses on the legal context in which we operate around the world, different laws, different countries, uh, how is music and media monetized in those countries, what are the right situations. This is what I focus on. Uh, I was a professor teaching music copyright law in Northern Virginia. Uh, I, I met Rasty through the fall list. Oh, yeah. The you CEO know. and founder. Of Lots Pex. of companies. I mean, look, Uber started on the fall list. It did? Oh, yeah. No question. Oh, Travis Kalanick. Uh, came to early pho brunches, uh, met a lot of people, uh, heard the word Uber from the co-founder of uh, John Paris, who was enamorated of the word Uber. Uh -huh. And it became the, the startup uh, of the week at pho. Wow. Uh, lots of startups there. Uh, it's a good environment for that because a lot of VCs come to the meetings or lurk on the list and are looking for things to invest in. Uh, which I guess is fortunate if you're looking for money and capital. Uh, it, it's a community. Above all, it is a community. Yeah, yeah. And we treat it as such. So this is great. A great intro to you for th people who may not have run across Fa or Pex or Jim Griffin yet. So that's awesome. I'm curious. Here we are at Music Biz. What? This is our opportunity to kind of check the pulse of the music biz. Oh, at yeah, music no biz. question. What's on your mind? What do you think are... are My mind is survival. I had a bad car accident about a month ago, and I, uh, it shocked me. I'd had shingles a couple of months before that. I'm an old man now, and I just realized just how mortal I am. Yeah. Uh, there's times I just 
plow through life and don't even think about such issues. And so for me, it's that I'm alive. But the business is alive, too, as is this conference. Yeah. And uh, it's great to see you standing and talking (laughs) and coming to a conference. It's amazing to me, uh, you know, just walking. Yeah. I'm learning to walk again. Oh, man. Uh, So, yeah. But I think in every way, it's a checkup for a lot of people. Well, you know, the pandemic was too, right? And I, so you got a double whammy. You got the pandemic and then this very, yeah, very... Yeah, the pan- pandemic was really a body check for everyone. Yeah. I'm still wearing a mask. Uh, I think we're all figuring out where we're at and where the business is going and what remains uh, after this avalanche came yeah. through town. And a lot of them has emerged as well. Like, so what's what, what are some of the... I mean, just like you mentioned, this early track that you put up online, the first track to go online, What what's that moment right now? What's happening <laughs> in music now? It's funny because I come here and I meet my old colleagues from Geffen mm-hmm. who remember our early days of networking and building networks and putting out songs online and working with HTML and trying to figure out what it meant to us. Uh, and we all laugh and they say, oh, you got us going on this. I mean, it's just as we thought that it was going to be. Uh, and so, yes, in some ways, it's uh, if it's a Bogosity filter, we say we survived that filter. Mm-hmm. We got through it. And now we're seeing uh, what happens when you do go that way. And there's a lot of challenges. How do you get paid? I think is one of the biggest questions for everyone is where's the money? Mm-hmm. Because they need it in order to eat, feed their families, be in business. It's not or incentivize business. the marketplace. Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's free market, right? And so it, that capital drives this market. Uh, and so you come here, you see what people are interested in. You see who's leading who's got new efforts, uh, what they're focused on. Yeah. And for a lot of people, they're focused on getting paid. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Um, so we've kind of reached this place where the, the, uh, the streaming economy has kind of built a, a baseline, grown back to a baseline of that monetization. Not everybody's happy with the, the, the payouts. No, but it is the economy they have to live with. Yeah. Yeah. And I say that because in some ways, the idea of streaming is so simple. It's the same as if you were dealing with packages. Mm-hmm. Packets, digital packets, behave as did packages. And as we saw the rise of FedEx and other uh, new technologies like that, it, it reinforced the idea that our future is about the just-in-time arrival mm. of customized digits. That they arrive just in time and in a customized way. So you think that that manufacturing thought of the just-in-time inventory type stuff influenced the direction towards digital? Oh, it motivated me to argue for streaming. Mm. I remember going to the mp3.com conference that Michael Robertson ran. A foeless member. Yeah, in San Diego. (laughs) Uh, And he he was revolutionary, of course, in bringing mp3 technology to the music industry, which had wanted nothing to do with it and wanted to keep it as far away from them as they could which ironically is today the way music is distributed for the most part, is in MP3 format. Mm. These are the file formats. And at that conference, I, I was known for the download and downloads and the idea that people would share them freely and so forth. And I went there with a message, which was, well, we're going to move on and downloads aren't going to mean anything in the future that it's going to be about streaming, the just-in-time arrival of music, mm. without any need to carry it around. And people were angry with me. I mean, they were angry. They were throwing things. They were yelling from the audience. Mm. You know, oh, there's a clock on the wall that you've got to watch, you know, this sort of thing. And they were, they were really <laughs> feeling defensive about downloads. Finally, they had their way with music, and they wanted to keep it that way. But I knew that it was going to change, yeah. that we would move to streaming that it would be the just-in-time arrival of customized audio and video, et cetera. Uh, And so today we do live in that world. But where did I get it? I got it from reading the book, The Toyota Way, Mm. which was about the Kanban in manufacturing and the signal card on how Toyota didn't want to order more than, if they were going to build 100 cars a day, they wanted 500 tires. They didn't want more. They didn't want less. Otherwise, they'd need warehouses. And warehouses were to be avoided. And I came to realize that storage, or a hard drive or anything, is a sign of inefficiency. 
If you're storing something, you've got an inefficiency mm. somewhere because you're not dealing with it just in time mm. in a customized way. And I think for the media business, that's an important awareness to have. Well, yeah, I mean, if you think about the switch from physical to digital and the pandemic where we had all these supply chain issues, the music industry didn't have the same kind of suffering that physical product did as a result of the switch to digital before the pandemic. Right. Well, people wanted their music to stream. Yeah. They wanted it now and in a customized way, and they didn't want to have to store it. And they wouldn't and they didn't have to wait. They didn't have to wait for the physical product, let alone for the 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 hassle of storing, downloading, uh, you know, right. well, ripping I, all there that. There was stuff. also some basic economics at work. Mm -hmm. I mean, Steve Jobs would sell you a device that would hold 5,000 songs. Should it cost $5,000 to fill it? I mean, <laughs> the device itself only cost 100 or 200. What parent would send their child into the world with $5,000 device attached to their belt? Right. I mean, th this basic economics began to challenge things. And how many songs can you really listen to at some point? Uh, I think it was attractive to have them all, but really it wasn't the point. The point is how much time do you have? How do you occupy it? And also, how do you build relationships with people? Uh, let me tell you a story. When I was at Geffen, we had a, a prominent company tell us that they, they'd studied our customers and they found that 80% of them really had no idea when their favorite artist came out with a new album. This is how disconnected they were from us mm. and how disconnected we were from them. Yeah. I think... In a world of just-in-time arrival, you build relationships that are very tight. And those relationships have great value. And it's all about feeding that relationship. Uh, and so I think that's an important learning for the industry, is to build relationships with fans. And then to serve as a gatekeeper to that audience is much more lucrative than selling them boxes off the back of a truck from a warehouse. Yeah. So, where are you seeing that in the in the music industry now? Where 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 are the glimmers of hope or the glimmers of of innovation? What what's what's happening right now in the in the music space that does just that? That creates that relationship between the artist and the fan and, and allows them to be their own gatekeepers in, instead of somebody else. For me, it's Twitch, mm. uh, which is of course a mi mixture of audio and video, mm -hmm. and I think that's an undeniable combination now. Is that audio and video someday we will have a camera here and, and they will be looking at us and i'm not sure that will be a more attractive picture <laughs> especially given our age at that time but uh it will be what it is and then there will be uh some kind of young uh commentator replacing each of us yes uh, somebody more attractive to the eye and, and that'll be necessary at that time because at that time it'll be moving on to the next thing you know it's sort of like that movie 2001 that monolith that shows up every time some progress happens and, and then it goes somewhere else. And I think so as we have this discussion and we say, okay, where are we now? The real question is what's next? Yeah. You know, it's the Wayne Gretzky quote. Well, what, before we go to what's next, what intrigues you about Twitch so much? You mentioned the visual elements. What, what in terms of the engagement and monetization? Oh, it's visceral. It's that this is now, and this is a huge palette of choice. You know, you can decide whatever you want to look at. Uh, you've got, hundred channels or more of things that you could look at and so I'm very curious who's here and who's transmitting who's who's using this new gatekeeperless so for, environment for you it's almost like going to the town square to see who's out there you got put, it. putting new stuff out and I, at that moment in time kind of like clubhouse was for a minute but yeah. uh, that visceral element is an interesting piece look, of I'm it I'm the kind of guy who goes to Hyde Park in London and wants to see who's talking at speaker's corner uh -huh. you know I, I want to know what do they have to say and what what do they want me to pay attention to so what captures your attention on Twitch uh Look, the same things that capture anyone's attention on Twitch. And it makes you wonder at some point, why is this capturing attention? <laughs> and by the way, it's very honest. I love that you see exactly how many people are watching at any given moment and how many fall off when a certain thing is mentioned or not mentioned. Yeah. And, and you say, really? That cost this streamer 100 people out of their 1,500-person audience or whatever. Uh, that, that, to me, is visceral. I feel like I'm hyper-connected at that time. And I want to know, what are, they, what are other people choosing? What am I choosing? How does it compare to the other people who are out there making a choice? 
uh, and what are they choosing to put on screen, and how and why? What kind of technology are they using? What are, microphones have they chosen? What streaming equipment have they chosen? I want to know it all because I am a fan of Marshall McLuhan. Hmm. That makes me an old man. But Marshall McLuhan was a very interesting Canadian who is best known for a saying that you really had to know to graduate from college in the 1970s or the 1980s. You had to know that he said, the medium is the message. And that was in the movie Annie Hall as well. Wow. Hmm. Uh, it was uh, sort of exciting to see Marshall McLuhan. Uh, but I, I, I studied McLuhan deeply, and I think highly of the things he said. And that was the most important thing he said, was the medium is the message. Hmm. Like, it, the idea that you're doing a podcast is the message here. It's more important than what we're saying. Wow. Is that you've chosen this medium to have a relationship with It's almost with like the medium is a genre itself? It's more than the genre. It, it speaks so loudly about how we're connecting with the audience right <laughs> now. They're choosing to listen to a podcast. We're choosing to create one. And that speaks volumes about what we're up to, probably way beyond whatever's coming out of our head right now. I'm not buying it, Jim. I'm not buying it. I know you aren't. <laughs> and, and I didn't either at first. And then there was a time in the 1990s when I realized that MP3 MP3s were the message, but that's that's implying that, that the elements that are on the on the format, the medium, the 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 MP3 or the the podcast or the Twitch live streaming, it doesn't matter which one you're watching. No, it's more important than the music because I'll tell you this: if it wasn't in MP3 format, you it wouldn't, wouldn't fit it. in the player, <laughs> yeah. and the kid wouldn't have it. And so if you weren't putting your music so I would out say the in medium that medium, the medium trumps the message, maybe. It does. That's it not gives the same as it is it. the message. N so. Well, in a way it is because it said volumes about that kid yeah. or who with that player that for him it needed to be an MP3 mm -hmm. because that was his message to the world was I listen to MP3s. And also I can now reach more people or I can reach these people or I can reach these people through this methodology. Yeah, we're using a podcast. Yeah. And partly because... If we were going to be on the radio, we'd need a gatekeeper to mm -hmm. satisfy, and we'd and need to make advertisers happy, and yeah. a license to use the public's airwaves, yeah. and that is a world that is disappearing. Yeah. And so our message is, screw the old media, screw the gatekeepers, we're coming through to you around the back door, Okay. and, and if you're interested in that, we're for you. <laughs> gotcha. You know, and I think that's an important message. Especially here at a music conference that in a way embodies the oldest of technologies. I mean, for God's sakes, wax. You know, wax cylinders. Uh, that's how all this got started. Right. And, and we're here embodying the new world. Yeah. So I, I want to make sure you have plenty of time because there's lots of people out there that probably want to get, get some of this one-on-one -on -one time <laughs> that I'm getting. What is the, what is, you, you mentioned sort of like, when, when Twitch shows up here with a video camera, the next thing that happens is the thing that we should be paying attention to now. What is that? Where do you think it's going? Boy, I'm curious. Yeah. I am, which is partly why I watch Twitch, you know, to say, what's the next iteration of this? It doesn't have smell? You know, <laughs> is that where we're going? Uh, what does it mean? Uh, and, and I think at some point, uh, and it, I, I'd say it's roughly now, we're going to be able to record all of the Twitch channels at the same time mm -hmm. and review them retroactively. Mm -hmm. You know, in the same way that the VCR changed many worlds and then different elements of the VCR, there's no reason you should have to choose a channel when it has the ability to record them all at one time. That's something new. And so at that point, you have so much content being created and you can basically travel back in time. Yes. No, it can be retroactive for you. You know, in some ways, we're doing that now with the Webb Telescope. Mm -hmm. The James Webb Telescope that we put into outer <laughs> well, space that's a good recently. Point. It's Because by the time we get it. It's looking back in space, <laughs> yeah. in time. Yeah. Because time is space, uh, which is a bizarre concept, right? The yeah. idea that the first 
episode of I Love Lucy is still out there traveling. And if only we can peer far enough, fast enough, we can intercept. It's already it. recorded. It, it is. <laughs> and it's being transmitted out into outer space. Oh, man. This is why you're on the Music Tectonics podcast. We look at these seismic space metaphors and you are <laughs> the embodiment of that yes and that's why the medium you choose matters <laughs> and you'll choose new mediums and so forth into the future and they'll all define you i don't i don't think we could go any further i think you pretty much said everything <laughs> we need to say here <laughs> well look I, I it's exciting to be with you and i i love that you kick down gates you know you kick them down that, you don't just respect them and open them you kick them down for others, and then others come walking across and say, well, if Dimitri can do it, I could do it. Well, but, you know, it's it's the medium, not the message. It's the kicking down the gates, yes. not, not the me doing it. No, I love <laughs> that you do it, though. I do. And I think there's something about that that's very important that speaks volumes about you beyond what you have to say. I think if people want to hear some more of this Jim Griffin <laughs> uh, ponderings, Fa P-H-O, is the place to, to go. And... Uh, um, I, I think what they'll find is somebody who has the most generous <laughs> approach of organizing a conversation. Even if you say you don't lead the conversation, uh, I mean, that's the thing. The only reason I could kick down Gates there was because I didn't get kicked off the list. <laughs> and we don't kick people <laughs> off. Look, if you're lonely and want a lot of email, Fuzz the place <laughs> for you because you'll get a lot of it. And you need a separate folder to filter it into. But but it's it's a real generosity of spirit in your approach, in, in kind of just welcoming people to lunch, welcoming people to this conversation, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they say, regardless of where they are in their level of experience. We've got some of the top veterans of the music industry, the digital space, innovation, copyright, law, all those things are there. And then, you know, when you're just getting started, it's a great education. It's better than a college degree. Look, it reminds me, I wanted to work in a newsroom because of the wire services. You know, you would get John Lennon shot or whatever, and you'd be like, oh my goodness. And th that was a moment in time that was uh, unmistakable. And the list it's like that. It's like a wire service. It's constantly sending you messages from around the world that are little reports about, I saw this today, or this was decided in a court today. And I think that's so exciting to, to the average person that they sometimes become gripped by it or addicted to it. Uh, and that's never healthy, but it can be healthy. There's good in it, even if it's not good. There's something very good in it. Uh, if you want information and you want to constantly be updated on it, the fall list is for you. Uh, it's for me, and that's why I do it, for me. And it, it always uh, runs best when I'm asleep because the, my hand cannot improve it. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. It is such, it's such a pleasure to get to see you in person. I'm so glad that you've come out of your terrible car accident, ready to roll back at conferences. Uh, I'm trying. Preaching to anyone who will listen. <laughs> Look, uh, no, I wouldn't say you're not just anyone. You're important to me, which is why I'm sitting with you doing this in the green room at Music Biz. Uh, because you are very important and your audience is important. And the people who choose this medium, they're important too. And uh, letting them know that there are others who are like-minded people is important to me. I'd love to see them on the thought list. I hope they write me at griffin at onehouse.com or griffin at 747 at outlook.com and send me a message and say, I want to be added to the list. Uh, I'll add you to the list. There's no question about that. As long as you know that we're not going to be discussing recipes for Vietnamese beef noodle soup. No. Nope. Uh, that's the only filter I've got is that it, you don't know what it's about. Probably you're not right for it. But even then, I would put you on. It's uh, been an absolute pleasure, Jim. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. thanks for inviting us all to uh, digital lunch uh, worldwide <laughs> all the time, 24-7. And I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your music biz. Well, thanks for having an old man on here who's got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel, frankly. Uh, doing my best to stay alive. Awesome. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Dimitri. Hi, I'm Robert Singerman. Um, I'm the SVP of International Publishing at Lyric Find. I'm a partner in Dot Music. I'm a partner in Mondo, partner in Sync Summit. Uh, and I'm here at Music Biz. And a friend of Crazy Pants. And a very good friend of uh, Dimitri Vizzi. Uh, I think we might Black go back 20 years, Robert. I believe we do. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just doing pulse checking. I'm walking around Music Biz to see what anyone who's not here might take away from it. What is on your mind at Music Biz this year, Robert? 
it's been a really great show actually because it's you know after south by it's kind of the first one where people are coming together a lot of people haven't seen each other for two years so it's that kind of coming out of the pandemic uh eyes open hugs fist bumps handshakes all that and you know the music community is a very strong very powerful place and and events like this where you meet new people and meet old friends and exchange ideas and hear new ideas uh hear what what the innovations are right now, get to do your spiels about what you're innovating and how your things things are rolling and what's in the future. Um, you know, for me, it's always very exciting to share with my fellow uh, fellow music uh, community professionals. Yeah. So what what's like on the tip of everybody's tongues here this year? Like, what what are people talking about? Is the, is there a thing or a few things? I think the thing is metaverse, NFTs, that's, that's the new conversation, but it's not quite really there yet in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. I mean, just had a lunch uh, with a professional who was talking about, you know, it's still a very small share of the market, it's still very small uh, uh, income coming in uh, from, from that. I mean, obviously there's some huge ones, but it's, it's still developing, but like everything developing, that's where a lot of the attention is, is what is actually going to be in the next year, the next three years, the next five years. So there's a lot of attention on that, but it's also all the different innovations that everybody in this community are actually creating and doing themselves. So, so there's a combination of Web3, Metaverse, future stuff, and what's happening right now with all the people who are here and with kind of the interactions between all the people who are here that have been put aside in some ways by the pandemic or at least not in the in real life face-to-face um kind of moving things forward um but but now we get to do that in person and you know tell everybody what what we're doing what hear what they're doing and work together on on you know affiliations partnerships new ideas uh new business models uh and again that's what's exciting yeah what so what are you telling everybody about with lyric fund right now well, thanks for asking that question. Um, with Lyric Find, the mission that I think Dimitri first interviewed me many, many years ago on, I've been working for 18 years on giving music subtitles, legal lyric translations. You might not even know this, but it has launched on Deezer, where we pay people for the in- initial lyric exhibition on, on the platform and for the lyric translation. So the top 10,000 Anglophone songs um, are now translated into four languages, and depending on where you're uh, listening from, the translation actually shows up along with the music, along with the original lyrics. And again, that's a 18 year project. I also just recently got a 2 million euro uh, grant for the next four years with 14 major partners, including Deezer, including Unison, including Zebra Lucian that's owned by Gama, to make this actually really happen. So within four years, the, the EU has actually said that this is transformative for Europe. Wow. That's what I've been saying for 18 years, but, but now they've recognized that we got the highest evaluation of any grant application that anybody's ever seen. Congrats. Uh, and it's, it's pretty exciting. Nice. Yep. Congratulations. We're also doing, sorry, lyric videos, free to create lyric videos, which also include translations, which again has been in my head for you know, 18 years. Uh, and that's exciting as well. That's a new product that allows us to actually deal with the labels and the distributors as distinct from the music publishers who we deal with on the lyric rights. So that's a whole new product. Lyric IQ is another product that allows us to identify themes and lyrics at scale, uh, emotion, content filtering, content analysis. What I like about it is that we're gonna be able to find out the lyrics from our five million, six million lyrics that have to do with SDGs, for example, or ESGs, or DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, in, in relation to these themes that is kind of the reason that I'm in the music business, I think, that, you know, that we want the world to be a better place um, and, and, and work on things with corporations, with organizations that actually care about, you know, what's happening. So that music meeting the, the world necessities. You know, I mean, for so long, you and I have talked about how the world has connected through music and many people learn a language through music maybe they learn English for the first time and it connects them up with some other things that are going on and stuff so it's super cool to see your endurance on this Robert and seeing it all the way through and it's it's super impressive I just got a link to an article in New Yorker about one song that's really changing the way 
India and Pakistan deal with each other. One wow. song. Uh, it's it's happening right now. Pasori, it's called. But New Yorker magazine, check it out. But yeah, it's so so that's really exciting to me. Again, it's 18 year project. Another project that I'm working on that I'm very excited about is with indigenous languages. This is the 10 year decade of UNESCO's indigenous language. Started in 2022. We have a project um, funded by the Canadian government. It's called Our People's Our Songs. Uh, you might know the Canadian government pretty much almost created a genocide situation for indigenous people in, in Canada, like in many parts of the world, the U.S. as well. Uh, and uh, they, they forbade uh, indigenous people to sing and to have communicate their songs. And we've worked... Music is a weapon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so they've, they've, they, they took away the music and the songs, and we're actually using songs and translations to revitalize and reclaim indigenous languages through all the different community groups, through an indigenous-led organization, uh, through all the community gr- groups that have been granted millions of dollars by the government, talking about lyrics, songs, and translations specifically to encourage young people and old people to work together on on revitalizing indigenous languages and music culture. Music is medicine. Music <laughs> is medicine, yeah. Um, that's super cool. And I think for me, one of the themes that I'm hearing from your conversation and what I'm seeing uh, around music biz and have been seeing for a bit in, in the last year post-pandemic is we've kind of reached a pivotal point on monetization of music where there's some money back in the pool and there's some maturation of some ideas that maybe were too experimental before, but people have s- said, okay, digital music is now, it's, it's now the baseline, right? And so you can add a lot of new opportunities and Lyric Find has been great about this found revenue in, in Lyric monetization for rights holders and now you're adding these other pieces as well. Super cool to see. Making that, right? things legal. I mean, I'm also very excited about Dot .music, which is a new top level domain coming this year that we've been working on also for a very long time and we'll also deliver digital tools for artists, songwriters, anybody relate anybody in the entire music community is distinct from the music business to benefit from our own top level domain cool excited to see what happens with that robert this has been a blast thanks for doing a pulse check with us at music biz thanks a lot dimitri appreciate it thanks for listening to music tectonics if you like what you hear please subscribe on your favorite podcast app we have new episodes for you every week Did you know? You can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye! You're listening to Music Tectonics.